Well, good morning, everyone. How are we doing? You sound very convincing. How are we doing? Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Darren, for, for, and uh, the drama team for, for entertainingly setting the scene for us. Uh, we, we left the Easter story at the end of Darren's piece with, with two Marys at the empty tomb. And they were expecting to attend to Jesus' dead body. Indeed, they'd gone to complete the embalming process. Instead, they, they found the stone rolled away. And the tomb empty and the grave clothes neatly folded up in the corner. Mark 16 verse 4. But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. When they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right hand side. The women were shocked, but the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there just as he told you before he died. The women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered. They said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. I want you to think just for a second what that scene, what they what they had, what they saw with their own eyes, and the consequences of that, what it would have meant to them. What would immediately have flashed through their minds? Do you think it would have been confusion? Calamity? crisis. What had happened? Where's the body? Who moved that gigantic stone? Where are the guards? No wonder they fled trembling and bewildered. And though their imaginations were no doubt running wild, a simple explanation was given by the angel. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. As I was reading that line today, I was reminded of, of Occam's razor. Anyone heard of Occam's razor? In essence, Occam's razor says that the simplest answer is usually correct. Now, I'm, I'm familiar with the, uh, with the principle, but I, I looked it up a little bit this week. Uh, William of Occam was a Franciscan friar born in about 1285 in Surrey. He studied philosophy and logic and theology. He was Oxford-based. And uh, the statement is, as I'm sure you're aware, entiar nonsunt multiplicanda praeta necessitatem. Which, as you all know, normally Greek and Hebrew, isn't it? Loosely translated, that means the explanation requiring the fewest assumptions is most likely to be correct. In other words, if there are several possible ways that something might have happened, the way that uses the fewest guesses is probably the right one. Interestingly, people arguing against the evidence 
for the resurrection also use Occam's razor as their logic. But let me ask you this, which, which to you is the simpler explanation that makes the fewest guesses and assumptions? Is it firstly, as we Christians believe that Jesus fulfilled his own prophecies about coming back from the dead? That the angel had indeed rolled the stone away, had folded up the grave clothes, and Jesus had walked out of the tomb, leaving it empty. Or was it this explanation that the Roman soldiers who, who in guarding the tomb, that, that meant that their very lives were at stake, had rolled the stone away and stolen and hidden the body. Surely then, when questioned and threatened, as they inevitably would have been, that they would just have produced the dead body to get themselves off the hook. Again, which, which has fewer guesses and makes less assumptions. Another explanation that is often given is called the swoon theory. And, and this theory says that Jesus wasn't actually dead. Well, that idea certainly doesn't match the evidence, certainly not that that is uh, written about in the gospel text. I mean, let's face it, Jesus had been flogged to within an inch of his death. In actual actual fact, it was quite often the case that, that people didn't actually even survive the flogging, let alone make it to crucifixion. So Jesus had been flogged within an inch of his death. Then he'd, been, he'd hung on the cross, suffocating in the heat of the day. Then when they examined his, his body, the custom was to break their legs. The legs held them up so they could continue to breathe. But in Jesus' case, they didn't need to break his legs because he was already clearly dead. And so they punctured his side with their spear. And the text says that blood and water flowed. So in this particular theory, remember we're talking about the number of assumptions you have to make. In this particular theory, when the mostly dead Jesus woke, he had the strength to move the stone away single-handed. Estimation that that stone would have weighed about a ton and a half. And then he left the grave clothes behind so he could walk out naked. Make of that theory what you will. Or another explanation, of course, is that the disciples stole the body. Even though the tomb was heavily guarded, how did they get past the Roman soldiers? Even those those disciples were scared witless and psychologically shattered by what had happened in the last day or so. And later, all 12 or 11 of those disciples would be prepared to be martyred and in many cases die grisly deaths for what they knew to be a lie? Which makes the most assumptions. And finally, the last theory is the grave robbers stole the body. This would be extremely difficult. It would be very high risk. The tomb, as we've already said, was heavily guarded. And why would 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 they rob the tomb and then leave behind the only thing of value actually in there? which was the clothes themselves. 
So which one of those explanations uses the most guesses? Which, which makes the less unlikely assumptions? And for me, it's unquestionably the first one. Though, of course, that one does require divine intervention. And many people just don't want it to be divine intervention. No doubt the disciples were, were convinced something happened. Something happened that day and that the next few following days that completely changed them. Slowly they came out of hiding and started preaching. Right in the face of the Jewish leaders. Right in front of the Roman authorities. And that message spread like Pentecost wildfire, despite the considerable persecution. As I've already said, many of them were martyred horribly. Within 300 years, Christianity had spread across the globe. And today it's estimated that that Christianity has 2.3 billion adherents. And that message, the resurrection message, has touched people of every ethnicity and nationality, from every continent, every economic, social, and intellectual background, or from all walks of life. And for them, the tomb has indeed proven to be empty. Unfortunately, many in the world today still have Jesus in the tomb. To them, Jesus is dead, irrelevant, ancient history, if you like. And I'm going to extend it even beyond that and give you a premise. And the premise is that many people are living today spiritually and practically as though Jesus was still dead and buried. And of course, without the resurrection, if that tomb wasn't empty, Christianity falls apart. There's no power, there's no forgiveness, there's no salvation, and there's no hope. And to counter that, millions of people testify that their lives have been utterly transformed by the risen Jesus. Let let me ask this question. What happens if we live spiritually and practically as though Jesus was still dead and buried? I'll repeat that question. What happens if we live spiritually and practically as though Jesus was still dead and buried? Three quick thoughts. Number one, if he is still in the tomb, I remain crushed under the weight of sin. Perpetually struggling with guilt and shame and regret and condemnation. Secondly, if he is still in the tomb, we've lost. No victory, no freedom, no hope. Defeat, darkness, downward spiral, inevitable. Thirdly, if he is still in the tomb, I can't. There's no resurrection life. There's no divine intervention. 
There's no power in the name of Jesus. There's no Holy Spirit in me. But of course, if the tomb was empty, all of that changes. History is turned on its head. Sin is forgiven. Victory won. Freedom purchased. And hope and purpose abound. And the Easter message is this. Jesus is not dead and buried. His corpse isn't rotting in some lost grave. All this isn't fairy tales and wishful thinking. But Jesus is now seated at the right hand side of his Father in heaven. That his is the name above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow. You see, if the tomb is empty, number one, we're forgiven. We're blood washed, white as snow. There is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We are new creations. We are in right relationship with God himself. Secondly, if the tomb is empty, it's no longer I have lost. It's that a great victory has been won. That the enemy's back has been broken. That the authority belongs to Jesus and his church. And now there is hope and purpose and power. And thirdly, if the tomb is empty, I can. The same spirit that raised Christ Jesus from the dead lives in me. I have resurrection life. God is on my side. All things are possible To him who believes at his name, the mountains shake and tremble. I am more than a conqueror. Never will he leave me nor forsake me. So back to that original premise. Many people are living spiritually and practically as though Jesus is still dead and buried. Surely our lives should look very, very different spiritually and practically if the tomb is indeed empty. Let let me leave you with these powerful questions. Do you face your mountains? A bit topical. We've been in Mark 10, 11, 12 recently. Do you face your mountains as though Jesus were looking up from the grave 10 feet below? Or down from the highest heavens? Surely how you answer that question makes an enormous difference. Secondly, are you full of guilt and shame? Or has Jesus conquered sin and death? Do you live your life strangled by worries and fears? Or is Jesus really sitting on the throne of heaven watching over you? Do you live your life stressed to the core or filled with a peace that passes understanding? Are you insecure and tentative and defensive? Or have you been transformed by the unfailing, unlimited, unconditional love of God? Are you blown over by every wind of change or uncertainty or opposition? Or is your house built on the rock? 
are you struggling with, with who you are and where you fit and where you belong? Or is God your Abba Father? Is Jesus Christ your Savior and the Holy Spirit your Comforter? And your answers to each of those questions should be very different spiritually and practically if you truly believe that the tomb was empty. Your God is not dead, everybody. Luke 24 verse 5, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. And you know, resurrection changes everything. It changed everything for the two Marys, for for the 11 disciples, countless multitudes ever since. And it changed everything for you when you invited Jesus into your heart. And the resurrection has the power to change significantly all the things in your life that you are still struggling with. To find out all about that, you'll have to come back next week. Or maybe you could sign up for Alpha. I'm going to leave you just with three challenge questions. And the first challenge question is this. Is Jesus a literary history or is he the risen Savior? Is Jesus dead and buried or is he the living Lord? Given the evidence before you today, how are you going to answer that question? And then the second question, extending the idea a little bit, is are you really living as though the tomb were empty? See, my, in my head, I'm convinced that, that, that many people who are unbelievers live their lives as though Jesus was still dead and buried. But we also think that for Christians too, there are occasions where, where we live our lives as though Jesus were dead and buried when he's not, when he's alive. And all those consequences of the resurrection that we've talked about, the hope and the life and the love and the victory and the freedom and the power and the hope are ours. And so the challenge becomes, each one of us today, sitting where we're sitting, facing what we're facing, do you really, truly, genuinely, powerfully live your lives as though the tomb were empty? And then the third question, zoning in a little bit more specifically, how does your current set of circumstances look different if you examine it through the lens of resurrection, reality, and life, and power. We've just talked in, in general terms, but zoom in really specific, right, to, to what you're facing. The mountain in front of your path, the challenge that's coming your way this week, the relationship that you're in the middle of that is breaking down. How does that look different if you look at it, not through the lens of dead and buried, no hope, no life, But if you look at it through the lens of the resurrection and the the reality, the victory and the power that comes along with that.